2: Live from the Nasdaq market overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, deep discount or deep value? Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF bouncing in a big way, but it is still down 20% to start the year. So are these high valuation stocks on sale? Or is there real value in this pullback? Plus, we are tracking the after-hours action in the chip space. Shares of Cirrus Logic and NXPI both on the move right now. And earnings will bring you the trades on both the names. And later, one of our traders hitting the buy button on Netflix. Why they see even more upside ahead for this beaten down streaming stock. But we start off with a sea of green to wrap up a volatile January. The S&P 500 jumping nearly 2%. The Nasdaq more than 3 Today's rally, though, doesn't erase all of the pain from this month. All three major indices posting their worst month. Since the start of the pandemic, the Nasdaq closing out its second worst January in history, just behind the first month of 2008, 10 of 11 S&P sectors down for the month. Energy, the only one to see gains. So do you believe this bounce that we saw today, or could there be more volatility and pain to come? Guy.
3: Hi, Melms. Well, whether I believe it or not, it's happening. And I do think there's going to be more volatility to come. I do think there's going to be more uh, more pain to come, but let's just talk about the context of why we bounce, in my opinion. And this isn't Monday Morning Quarterback. We sort of talked about this for a while. The levels we traded down to, I guess, last week, that 42.50 or so level in the S&P 500, sort of mirrors where we bounced from in late September, early October, number one. Number two, the market got its lifeline in the form of Microsoft, which we had discussed, and Apple traded down to that prior all-time high of 156, 157 from September. So... It all makes sense. Problem is, I don't think the worst is over. And by the way, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, two's tens now, it's sort of, what, 59, 60 basis points? And I'll still say, and I've said it for a while, I think we're headed to 30 basis points in the form of one and a half in the two-year and 180 in the 10-year. I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think that augurs particularly well for the broader market.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, Guy mentioned the lifeline provided by some of the big cap techs that have uh, reported already. We've got a lot to come. And sort of bringing up the rear, we had some of these high valuation names seeing a bounce as well. And we'll get more into the Kathy Wood names specifically. But you take a, a look at, uh, you know, like the work from home ETF, let's say, Tim, you know, names like Zoom and Peloton. I mean, that was up 4 percent today outperforming the broader markets
0: yeah it, look it, I think, and they all took their leadership from the semis, and i know we 're going to talk about those mm-hmm. a little bit later on in the show, and a salute to to Carter, who came on the show on Friday and really announced we 're going to get a bounce, so a ten and a half percent move off those intraday lows on Friday for the semiconductors I, I think has spurred on high growth I, and, I, and again i don 't think that uh, a day or two of trading. Changes the tone for a lot of these high multiple stocks. I, you know, to be clear, I actually think there's still a fair amount of pain. But I, I also think that some of those stay-at-home stocks, uh, the DocuSigns, the Zooms, uh, I think are ones that you can look at them relative to their pre-COVID positioning and 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 understand how much stronger these companies are, and that you know you've effectively annualized either at zero or you know less than ten percent in a couple of these names. Uh, I do think that the move in semiconductors is part of this story, but I think this is all. Coming from extremely oversold positions. It's the last day of the month, folks. Um, I wouldn't get too worked up over this, even though uh, a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief.
2: Skepticism about the bounce, Bonowin. What do you say?
1: Um, I mean, it's a bounce, but I think, uh, you know, I always tend to fade or at least kind of put some context around moves that happen month in and quarter in. You've got to keep in mind that, listen, you, you've got your index or your, whatever your uh, baseline is that you're being compared against. And a lot of people have been underweight a lot of these performance sectors that we saw today. So that's going to lead to if you see, you know, particularly in a, in a higher volatility tape, when you see moves bounce back to the upside against the way that you've been positioned, you've got to kind of recalibrate and get yourself in line with what your baseline or index comparison that you're going to be compared to. I'd like to see a bit more follow through before proclaiming that this is the bottom and this is the time to get back in. But 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 I do think it does speak to the underlying tone that Tim and Guy have both pointed out that a lot of these names have kind of retraced and traded down and shed several multiples, have become stronger through COVID and are now a better position, at least for long term core positioning.
2: So it sounds like the fundamental backdrop to the markets, Karen, has not changed. But the degree, the the valuation of these names changed. So in in that respect, you do reevaluate some of these stocks in light of that haircut
4: maybe right i mean i think the things that made that happen are still present right the idea that the fed is no longer you know going to be completely zero forever so that's changed that's very big the market sort of hates uncertainty i think the market will digest it fine once we know a little bit more about the path you know what march will have a lot more data about that it's interesting to me to note that the vix at 25 the vix doesn't normally hang out at 25. It goes one way or another, which means the market's going to go one way or another. So I, don't, I didn't get the sense we got that complete crescendo of VIX you know, spike into the 40s and selling. So I kind of think we might be in for that again. I don't know. But I don't think the VIX is going to stay around here. The other thing is we're now at earnings season, which I really like because then you can peg valuations to something a lot more tangible. So we'll see. We saw some interesting earnings tonight. I think, you know, Microsoft and Apple set us up nicely. we got a huge week this week um, with uh, Amazon and Facebook and Starbucks and so many others. I actually bought some Facebook today. So that, I think, will help us figure out how the market's going to go.
2: Bono, and as the options guy, I'll go to you on this. Uh, you know, in terms of the VIX hanging out at 25, is that, is that, that's not a normal state? Do you think we'll see that spike higher that will sort of signal to everybody that that the crescendo is here, the capitulation is here?
1: Well, for several years, we've kind of been spoiled by a, you know, a sub-16 and a times sub-12 VIX. I actually you know think that we're here for some elevated volatility and that this 24, 25 level is there. I mean, that, that implies less than a 2% move, and we got that even today in certain pockets of the market. Um, so, no, I, I think 20 is probably the level you look to, to buy it. You probably let go mid-30s, but I think we're, we're here to stay for a little bit.
2: Yeah. Guy, so if we're just going to be volatile here... I mean, what do you do? (laughs) It's hard to dip your toe into something, you know, if if you think that we're going to be up or down integers in a single day. Yeah, it's interesting.
3: No, it's fair. I mean, the show was, I mean, we built this show on sort of a trading show. And, you know, I think this is a trader's market. Tim talks, I hate that term, but it's true. And Tim has mentioned for months now that, you know, more Fed equals more volatility, and the Fed is no longer underwriting this market. They basically have told you that, you know. I think, and I've said this, and I know it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I believe it, you know, their dual mandate of making sure the S&P 500, the NASDAQ are going higher, well, they they were successful in that for a long time, but now they focus their attention to uh, inflation. And if you believe the mantra that you don't fight the Fed, and that's typically said when they're putting liquidity in the market, and by fighting the Fed, you're bullish, well, now that they're taking it away, If you're now bullish, you're fighting the Fed to the downside. So that's just my two cents here.
2: So if you're going to believe that mantra, Tim, then the extrapolation of that is that you shouldn't be long the markets for some time if they're in a tightening mode.
0: Well, we, we spent a lot of time on the show trying to talk about what being long the market is or not, and, and I, I certainly wouldn't recommend people leaving this market. Um, I, I would recommend that some of the rotation that we've talked about, I, I think there are places that you are going to see uh, the beneficiaries of higher interest rates or reflation or inflation. Uh, I do think it helps industrials. I do think it helps commodities. I do think it helps um, certain parts even, and even health care. So um, I think this is more of the story. And in fact, I think it's more about a rationalization uh, of multiples and what you're willing to pay for companies. And that's why um, we've seen such extreme reactions to companies that have guided down for the first quarter, uh, especially those that have higher multiples. And I, I, I think that's the backdrop we're in. I think what we're all talking about is an environment where equities really had a lot of room to run based upon let's let's not forget we were waiting for this period of normalized earnings back after COVID. We're we're absolutely staring that in the face. Omicron or not. Um, you have to listen to companies and really get a sense of where their business is going to be 2H22 into 23. and So that mulligan is gone. The Fed is gone. Um, and it doesn't mean that you run from this market. It just means that there are different ways to be investing. And I think there are really interesting ideas out there.
2: All right. Speaking of that, uh, the high multiple names, the ARK Innovation ATF seeing a nice pop today. The fund jumping more than 9 percent for its best day since last March. But it has been a very rough run over the last year. Just take a look at how far some of its biggest holdings have fallen from their highs. Tesla, Zoom, Teladoc all trading well off their peaks. Kathy Wood sees this drop as an opportunity to double down on some of these names saying in her market commentary just last month. After correcting for nearly 11 months, innovation stocks seem to have entered deep value territory. The valuation's a fraction of peak level. So that got us thinking. Are these stocks deeply discounted or is there deep value? We tasked our traders with finding some value plays in the ARK universe. Um, Karen, before we get to yours, you made this distinction. I think this is an important one for the conversation. Deep value versus simply being deeply discounted. There is a difference between the two.
4: Yeah, there's definitely a difference. Uh, that's saying that any of those stocks that they traded at $1,000, $10,000 per share, if they came down to 5000 that that would mean they're deep value, which it doesn't, right? It also depends on so many other factors, but just being a lot cheaper than it used to be isn't enough. That having been said, though, I do think there's some in- some interesting plays there. To me, it's Coinbase. It's not super cheap, but they actually do make money. And I think that in this land grab for wallets, I think they're positioned nicely. Stock's well off of its IPO, well off of its highs. Obviously, as Bitcoin trades down, Bitcoin and other currencies trade down, it's traded down with it. But I think they're well positioned. And so that's the one that I like the most.
2: Tim, you chose a work-from-home darling.
0: Yeah, like Teladoc. Uh, and again, this is all in the context of relative to themselves. And, and there's an argument that you know this is an oxymoronic game of, of could these stocks ever be considered value. But Teledoc at four and a half times 2023 revenues is significantly deeply discounted to where it was. But you can make an argument with 76 million used subs uh, and you have at least a margin enhancement they've had the last two years they've increased their margin by about 700 basis points that's expected to continue economies of scale look this is a story that actually i believe i I believe that this is a company that really has the ability to grow and at four and a half times sales you know that's that's something i could pay for there's a lot of stocks in there that i don't think you've changed the dynamic here but uh this is one that's actually pretty interesting to me
2: bonwin what's yours
1: Uh, Trimble is another one that I think fits the bill. And I I think in terms of value, value, I'm going to use quotation marks there. It checks all or most of the boxes with the exception of dividend yield. But at 24 times forward P.E., 15 15 turns cheaper than its five-year average, positive cash flow. I think Trimble very much fits the bill. I mean, it's, it's essentially trading in line with the overall general market, and you get that innovation upside.
2: And, Guy, you went all the way back to your 2021 acronym for yours.
1: Yeah, I did. And listen, I mean,
3: Palantir was looking like a champ in early 2021, if you recall. I think it got caught up in sort of the whole WSB Reddit crowd, which was great at the time, probably proved to be uh, very detrimental long term. But I look at Palantir and say, you know what? Tim talks about this. Data is the new oil. And they're really just they're in the midst of it. Right. And I just don't think people fully understand or maybe I don't fully understand uh, the power of Palantir. Or maybe they haven't done a good job saying it. But I will say, I think they're going to make offerings from medium sized businesses, MSBs you hear all the time. I think that's going to help them in terms of margins. And I think this stock with a 13 handle is just too cheap in this environment.
2: All right. Our next guest predicts treacherous market activity will pave the way for a violent rally in February. Tom Lee runs Fundstruck Global Advisors, is the CNBC contributor. Tom, always good to see you.
5: Yeah, great to see you, Melissa.
2: So January was rough. You thought January would be rough, but you didn't think it would be this rough. Is the flip side to that that you think this violent rally in February will be even
5: stronger? Uh, yeah, the setup looks like the V for February is not Valentine's, but violent rally. And I think uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that we know retail sentiment got so negative that it was the worst since 2013. But the last six times it was this negative Six out of six times, the market was higher three months later. So I think we're in an easy sort of risk-reward for the month of February. The second is retail cash. Uh, We're going to talk about this with our clients tonight, but if you look at retail money market cash from ICI, retail investors basically assumed a bear market was starting. So they've raised so much cash in the last couple of months that we're essentially resetting uh, a risk-on rally. And the third is... I mean, this is anecdotal, but I've been at a couple conferences over the past week. I didn't find anybody bullish. So I think when institutional investors are cautious, retail basically priced in a bear market and their sentiment's the worst in eight years, uh, you could have a huge rally. And as we've written before, recoveries from a fast sell-offs actually typically are symmetric, meaning you should expect a violent rally.
4: Tom, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. We always appreciate having you. Um, we know you know we like acronyms here. Yours is BEEF, one of the Bitcoin is part of it. How do you see uh, when you say Bitcoin, are you using Bitcoin itself or are you using cryptocurrencies in general? And where do you think Bitcoin's dominance in that in that spectrum is?
5: Uh, Karen, that's a great question. Uh, when I talk about Bitcoin in that acronym, it's really crypto. But I think Bitcoin, Ethereum, and really a couple other layer ones, blockchains are important core holdings. Um, but the reason I use Bitcoin is it's the most liquid. Um, I think it's also the safest from a regulatory perspective. And, I, and we know that in February, there may be some regular, you know, executive order coming from the White House. And I think that might make Bitcoin look a lot more appealing.
2: So Tom, speaking of these sort of V-shaped bounce backs. So we were just talking about the ARC Innovation ETF, and I'm wondering if you if you also see the sort of um, violent bounce back for these names that are just absolutely bombed out. And I know you're not an individual stock picker, but, but names of this ilk. Uh,
5: yes. Uh, Mark Newton, our technical strategist, actually last week wrote about how you know he's been watching ARK, the ARC ETF itself, and thinks that it's making an important bottom. So I think the next couple of weeks will be really insightful but it does look like the arc balance needs to be respected and i think it's going to be part of the v-shaped violent rally all
2: right tom we got to leave it there thanks so much for joining us always good to get your perspective thanks. tom lee of fun strat beef it's funny but it's it's very catchy and and b is much better than putting the c for crypto cif is not that catchy guy <laughs> um but but do you like that energy financials those, those are the other letters I
3: love energy. Listen, I'm not going to get into the Bitcoin thing, but having been cut in half and seemingly found a bottom at a prior uh, low that we bounced from, Bitcoin makes sense. But energy, to me, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we've talked about it, I think, for a while. We had Paul Sankey on a month, month and a half ago. I think people underestimate uh, how high crude oil can go and then subsequently the underlying stocks. And if I'm not mistaken, I think energy was one of the better performing sectors in January. I think that's going to continue. And I understand what Tom is saying. By the way, Tom was the one that a month and a half, two months ago, said to be cautious into this period of time. So if he says we're going to see a knee-jerk rally, I'm not going to stand in his way. I just think there's going to be more volatility prior to that.
2: Bono, and would you buy into this notion of this sharp, violent V-shaped rally?
1: Uh, As a trading position, yes. Um, I'm still a little bit cautious in terms of waiting. The the, the Fed has said they're going to be data dependent. I think we need to be data dependent as well. So for a trading position, certainly. But aside from that, um, I'm still a little cautious.
2: All right, coming up, the biotech breakdown, the group notching its worst month since 2018. But one top analyst has four names showing signs of life. we got the trades ahead, but first, we're all over the after-hours action in the chips. Cirrus and NXP, both on the move after reporting earnings. We're tackling the trades when Fast Money returns.
6: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
4: Welcome
2: back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on two chip names, Cirrus Logic and NXPI. Let's get the Sema Modi with all the details. Seema.
7: Hey, Melissa, let's start with NXP shares reversing early gains after delivering the double-digit revenue growth. Wall Street was hoping for a 21 percent rise for the fourth quarter year over year. Ahead of today's report, Piper Sandler downgraded the stock to neutral on concerns around the pace of orders slowing down in the second half of the year as supply chain constraints normalize. And then there's EBS reiterating its sell rating, writing... Is this as good as it gets? Now, the commentary from NXP CEO Kurt Sievers suggests otherwise, saying we continue to see growing customer demand, outstripping supply as inventory across all end markets remains very lean. Taken together, this underpins our continued confidence of robust growth throughout 2022. A big move in the stock, it was up 8% in the regular session. The company also announcing a dividend hike and a bigger stock buyback program. But the chip supplier, which does make roughly 50% of its revenue from the automotive industry, has been come under pressure as part of this broader tech sell-off we've seen in 2022. Stock down about 15% from its uh, respective 52-week high. So what executives say tomorrow on the conference call, could provide a good lens on future demand now sticking with semiconductors check out shares of cirrus logic rallying here after hours up about four percent it was up as much as 10 percent. solid beat on earnings about a 40 cent beat on its bottom line plus uh, very strong guidance for the fourth quarter melissa back to you
2: all right sema thank you sema modi um very different outcomes in terms of after hours trade tim what do you make of them
0: well, look, NXP. It's a case of where the stock, like many semis, was, was I think you know down 23, twenty percent to the to the intraday lows on Friday. Um, the fact that they've reiterated a three-year growth at you know between eight and 12 percent, I think, is a huge relief to the market. Um, I think you're at a place here where, again, some of these uh, some of these chip companies appear more commoditized than others. Um, the reliance on the auto sector is high. I think the near-term headwinds are there. Although I wouldn't be worried about the near-term headwinds beyond you know the. You know, the near term. In other words, I think you've got a case here. We've priced in a lot of bad news. So it was a great day to be a semiconductor stock, um, and I would be cautious on following through a 15% move uh, essentially since that low.
2: Even if you don't own an NXPI, it's a great read on just the landscape in general in terms of its end markets because it feeds into so many different places, not just automotive guy.
3: Yeah, and I don't think we talk about it often enough. I hear what Tim is saying, but First of all, look at where it stopped on Friday. You go back to, I think it was October 11th or so, the stock traded down to about 180 and then had a huge bounce to all-time highs in December of 239. Well, that's what we tested on Friday. We traded down to basically 180 and bounced. We did it on decent volume, by the way, close to 5 million shares. At 17 times forward earnings, it's not that expensive. And I think they have decent revenue growth and earnings growth to back that up. So to your point... It gives you a lot of clarity as to what's going on. I understand what Piper did here; they downgraded the stock, 210 price target. But I think you can say that long this stock against the lows we made on Friday.
2: Where do you find value in chips, Karen?
4: Well, Qualcomm, but I, that, that's actually run a long way. So I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be a buyer probably up here, especially on a day like today in this very strong run. Could I just point out one thing in NXP, though? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the, right when the company said there was a material weakness in their IT general... I, I don't know exactly. I knew what each word meant, but I didn't know what they meant altogether. They haven't filed the 10K, so I don't know. Uh, it, I didn't get... It's fine that they haven't filed it. They have plenty of time to do that. It's, I just need more explanation. Could be nothing. Can't be something wonderful, but it could absolutely be nothing. So I'm interested in that.
2: I would think even just um, computer programs, when they pick up material weakness, want to hit sell. So <laughs> that is something to worth, uh, worth keeping an eye on. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next
8: biotech blues. The group notching one of its worst months ever. But is there a pulse left in the trade? Plus, Netflix doing anything but chilling. Shares jumping as analysts stream in. And the CEO is getting in on the surge. Is this turnaround for real? We'll break it all down. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money Relief for the biotech space. The XBI ETF rallying for a second day in a row, its largest one-day gain in more than a year. But January wrapping up a terrible stretch for the group. The index down more than 16 percent, its biggest drop since 2018, and its third worst monthly performance ever. Our next guest says there could be opportunity in the beaten down sector. Let's bring in Jared Holtz, healthcare equity strategist at Oppenheimer. Jared, great to have you with us.
10: Thanks, Melissa. I appreciate it.
2: I read your note this morning, was fascinated by it in terms of how bad the metrics have been for this space, but then also got to the part where you wrote about um, funds that had been getting into the sector over the last, you know, months of 2021. And so there isn't much ammunition left for them to continue getting into this trade. Who is who is the buyer at this point?
10: Well, yeah, I think we have to look at, you know, other money managers to sort of start the party up a little bit. Long onlys, mutual funds sovereign wealth funds quant funds that have really been underweight the space for a while and it's clearly been the right call it's just that at these prices with so many single securities moving down the same level or the same degree there's a lot of opportunity if you have a longer term strategy and i think after a 20% correction just in one month and we were talking about whether this index was going to move higher at the at the start of the year and it's been the worst start that you know we could have imagined so i think you know, money managers who have really not been heavily invested in biotech yet, you know, could serve as the catalyst to move us back up here.
2: I mean, these are levels, Jared, you point out, that we haven't seen since Hillary Clinton talked about drug pricing. I mean, things are are that bad. Is this the kind of sector that you can buy the ETF in, or is this the kind of sector where you have to uh, dig in and understand the fundamentals of individual names?
10: Well, you might be able to do both here because the you know the XBI is almost representative of pretty much every other stock in the index at this point. You've had pretty much the bottom half of this group trade in tandem with the top half, meaning lower quality stocks trading uh, to the same degree as the higher quality revenue generating in some cases, earnings generating in some cases stocks. So it's pretty much the same, sadly. Um, I think you can probably play the index because some of the lower quality names, it's just so hard to see them go down even more. So I think today's move, almost reflective of the fact that short coverage stopped, maybe some you know, covering took place today, maybe a little bit of nibbling on the margin. Um, but I think you can probably do both. I mean, the higher quality names within biotech are probably ownable here, given mm-hmm. the amount of destruction and, and, and value disintegration we've seen. Um, but then again, you can you know, probably buy the XBI here, too, at least for a trade.
2: I want to get to your individual names. You've got three of them that you're bringing to us, starting with Horizon.
10: Well, yeah, I think Horizon's interesting here. Again, revenue generating, multi-billion dollar top line company um, in in eye disease that they've really crushed in terms of you know finding patients and, and generating significant sales from in only a couple of years. And this was $120 you know, very recently down. As low as 80, it's come back along with, you know, the rest of the group today. Um, But I think Horizon is worth a shot. Um, Inzimet is another one, revenue-generating company, pipeline, you know, real infrastructure, Salesforce, et cetera. And then Seattle Genetics as well. Um, This is an oncology company with five marketed drugs, um, a host of others waiting, you know, in the clinic to be approved at some point over the next year or two. So I think those three kind of make sense, and they're kind of emblematic of what we've been talking about, trying to find legitimate enterprises that have traded just as poorly as those that do not have any of these attributes at all.
2: Jared, thank you. We appreciate it. Jared Holtz of Oppenheimer. Um, Guy, where do you stand on this? I mean, as Jared had mentioned, even, even the low-quality names, they're due for a bounce. This sort of gets back to the conversation we started the show with, with the ARK Innovation names. At some point, these things are going to bounce. The question is, do you want to s- step in here?
3: That's the thing. I mean, in IBB, obviously, I think IBB right now, 9% of it is now comprised by Moderna. But if you look at the sell and we've talked about it. You know, I didn't think you would get down to the 160s, but here we are. I think IBB is worth a look. And CGen, S-G-E-N, he just mentioned. It's really interesting. Morgan Stanley just upgraded the stock as well. And I think on valuation, you can make a pretty compelling case. So, obviously, the XBI is a little bit of a different animal. IBB is the one that I look at. Um, but I'll say this. CGen, one of the names that he brought to the table, is really compelling here. I think you're going to see more analysts start to uh, upgrade the name.
2: Bonowen, would you get in? Biotech?
1: I, well, you know, I, I felt so much sentiments around Horizon. It's, it's one of the cheapest in the group with one of the most robust gross margins, and it's a bit later stage, so it's, it's a little less speculative. I mean, I, I can understand the buying the bounce, but you still want to make sure you're at the top tier of the sector or subsector that you're involved in, and I think Horizon fits the bill there.
2: Tim, very, very rough year for Biotech Investor. <laughs> what would you do here?
0: Yeah, and, and I, I think our – well – I would stick with quality and I would stick with uh, the lowest multiple names and then the ones with the most cash and the most defensive. And to me, that's Regeneron. Um, it, it's potentially Gilead. Regeneron certainly has fared well through COVID. So their, their COVID A, B cocktail is seen as the preventative in a status quo. Um, I think if you look at their future in oncology, it's very optimistic. They've had a lot of progress. They've got $9 billion to spend on internal research. They are doing just that, and it's nine and a half times forward. So uh, our, our, our audience knows we talk about this all the time, the difference between the XBI and the IBB. And I, I just think in the IBB, you have a lot more defense, and, and a Regeneron has outperformed its peer group, and Moderna is the reason why the IBB is underperformed. So I think you can't paint them all with the same brush. Uh, I think Regeneron looks great.
2: Coming up, streaming higher. Netflix rallying today, and that has investors, the company's CEO, and even one of our traders piling in. We'll break down the trade. Plus, imagine all the NFTs, <laughs> some of John Lennon's memorabilia hitting the auction blockchain. But don't expect to take any uh, home any of the clothes or guitars, at least physically. You've got all the details when Fast Money returns.
8: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right
9: after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Netflix soaring 11% to kick off the week. city, upgrading the streaming stock to a buy from a neutral. And the company's CEO was out buying more shares. Reed Hastings scooping up more than 50,000 shares or just over $20 million worth of stock. And one of our traders hit the buy button on this name today. Karen, you added to your position. Why?
4: Right. Well, I thought, you know, I wanted to buy more since the, the, the earnings and I only had bought a little bit. But then I saw that Reed Hastings purchase. I thought it was interesting. I thought what, one thing that was really interesting about it was that 20 million dollars he spent caused such a frenzy in the stock that I think he made about 200 plus million on the rest of his holdings. So that was money well spent over the weekend for sure. <laughs> but I just think the story has gotten well. It's not cheap. It's certainly not expensive relative to itself and its history, which I understand. It's not on the growth trajectory that it was, but they, it should always trade at a premium. Obviously, there's a huge subscription business there, and those are valued differently. And I don't necessarily think that one miss is the end of the story there; that they'll never grow again. And I think they do still have pricing power. If you think about it, I mean, to me, that would be the last thing that I would cut off. So. I, I like it. And I, I like that he owns a lot. But he owned a lot already. So uh, I'm, I like it. I'm in it for a while. Yeah. Citi cited specifically
2: ample pricing power and they said investors are getting too caught up on things like all the competition out there as well as a stronger dollar hurting margins. Tim, you bought this on the earnings. So I'm wondering how you're, how you're thinking about this trade yeah. at this point.
0: Yeah, and I added a little bit to it. I, look, I, as someone and our fast money folks know, it's not like I've been a raging Netflix bull over the years. But I, I you know, as you get to 16 bucks a share in earnings out in 23, you guys can do that math. That's that's 25, 26 times. That's actually not expensive at all. Um, and, and I think if we weren't concerned about competition, and Reed Hastings certainly has talked about uh, the the you know the legacy secular trends here uh, that I think will help every and all players. I don't know why you're suddenly concerned about competition after this number. And I, I I would agree. I think more or less Karen is saying, hey, um, it, it hasn't been a straight, linear path forward for, for Netflix in a world where they've amassed 225 million subs. I don't know why we're going after them now. To me, this is actually a company that before selling off 30% or 40, 35% uh, over the course of the 10 days around those earnings, you know, it was it was actually growing into a, a an interesting valuation before all of that. And that was part of, uh, uh, to me, my reason for getting the stock.
2: All right. Coming up, Lucy in the Sky with NFTs. John Lennon memorabilia going up for auction on the blockchain. The man hosting the NFT auction joins us for what is up for grabs. And we are gearing up for PayPal earnings, a fintech stock on deck to report. That's got options traders charging in. Details ahead. Do not go anywhere. Fast money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Beatles fans, listen up. Some of the band's memorabilia is up for auction in the form of NFTs. Six items, including Paul McCartney's handwritten notes for Hey Jude, are listed for sale. Bidding is underway. It closes next Monday, so the clock is ticking. Let's bring in Yellow Heart CEO Josh Katz, who's heading the sale with John Lennon's son Julian and Julian's auctions. Welcome, Josh. Great to have you back on the show.
8: Great to be here.
2: Let's be clear about this. The person who actually wins this auction won't own the physical, um, you know, the physical lyrics to Hey Jude, for instance. They'll have the NFT version. So what sort of demand has there been so far for these items?
8: Uh, The demand actually has been very high. And what this actually is, is what's called a digital pairing, where we're taking a physical good and we are creating a digital pairing of it or a twin of it that is authenticated by the original owner um, with true authentication and provable scarcity in this case.
2: It it sounds almost like alchemy, Josh. (laughs) You have one item and you're able to hold the item and, and own the value of the item and yet sell an NFT duplicate of it and make even more money.
8: Yeah, but yeah, that's exactly what's going on. You know, as we move into a digital universe and into the metaverse, these um, physical goods will need to become digital in order to be memorialized. And if you think about it, think about potentially a Beatles museum in the metaverse and things like that, you'll need authentic goods to be moved digital into the future.
2: So what is a bidding, you know, what's the most popular item so far? How high is a bidding gone?
8: So, you know, the Hey Jude lyrics so far has gone to 50K and, you know, the auction ends next week. So we expect it to actually go quite a bit higher.
2: If you have an avatar in the metaverse, can can this avatar wear that coat that's up for auction, for instance? Or is it just <laughs> the ownership of this NFT that, that brings joy to your life?
8: You know, potentially you will be able to wear that coat in the metaverse if you own it. Uh, anything is possible in the metaverse, but it will be a highly collectible digital item. You know, in a 100 years from now, when, you know, we're looking at these items, we're going to have to have provable authenticity. And that's what this is doing. What I'd really say this is, is the earliest stages of physical digital pairings when you look even at collectibles memorabilia even luxury goods and watches these are things that are going to require you know nfts to create authenticity and ownership
0: Josh, Tim, uh, great timing on this with the uh, Get Back feature on Disney Plus, too. So people are fired up on the Beatles right now. We're also fired up on the possibility of, of, you know, seeing rock and roll via NFT tickets. And how do you see this changing in a world where I think we're all frustrated by, you know, Ticketmaster Live Nation and those costs? But, you know, for artists, this seems to be a great opportunity to connect with fans and, again, give them that utility on top of the concert ticket, whatever it means uh, on the follow up.
8: Absolutely. Tim, you know, um, NFT tickets is something that we do at Yellow Heart that we've really been pioneering. And what it does is for the first time, it really creates an environment where there is no middleman who's a bad actor. There's no more fraud. There's no more counterfeit. Um, And there's direct payments where all stakeholders memorialize in a smart contract who gets paid what, who has what stake, who has what ownership and gets direct payment. So it's very hard to create fraud and misrepresentation in that market and if you look at the live event sector it's been fraught with middlemen as frankly nothing to do with live nation and ticketmaster they are you know trying their hardest to fight this all the time but um, there is a cottage industry of scalping that really can be get you know decimated with the use of the nft ticket
2: i have one more question sorry to be all hung up about this whole physical digital pairing <laughs> notion but what happens if the physical good is destroyed or well, changes hands
8: so when the physical good changes hands i think in the future you're going to see both items being sold together in some cases and they're being separate items in some cases so if the physical good changes hands that technically in this case the digital good will still remain with the owner of whoever wins this auction next week
2: and if the physical good is destroyed what happens to the value of the nft
8: i think it's going to go through the roof
2: <laughs> okay Josh, thank you for your time. Always fascinating <laughs> to hear from you. Thank you. All right, um, Guy, are you gonna bid? You've been known to bid. You, you and Karen have gone to au- physical auctions before together.
3: <laughs> yeah, no. Listen, I'm, my avatar is actually bidding fiercely right now in the metaverse sure for this, without question. I enjoyed, I enjoyed what I did with Karen in terms of that auction much better because there was actually something tangible. But obviously, this is not intended for me, so I'm not going to poo-poo it. What I will say. And I think Karen probably agrees with this. Um, Mike Mahaney has said that Coinbase will be the bank of the metaverse. And that move to 160 was epic in terms of how it flushed so many people out. So I don't think it's for this week or next week or next month. But I think Coinbase is probably the way you play all of
1: this.
2: There are also various cryptos, Karen, as you know, that are powering these auctions. I mean, Polygon 2 is this. Polygon layer 2 is the one powering this one. And so if you look even beyond Bitcoin, there are a lot of coins to actually invest in if you want to get in on this trend.
4: Yeah, I think Polygon 2 is that it's a less energy Mm -hmm. um, intensive, less Mm -hmm. energy usage. Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, I'm still uh, this whole NFT thing. I can't help but think we are going to look back on these asset sales and just uh, that they'll be ridiculously high, not low. Um, But, you know, that's just me. Yep.
2: Time will tell, as they say. (laughs) Coming up, PayPal earnings (laughs) on deck and options traders are charging in ahead of the report. We'll tell you how they are playing the fintech name when Fast Money returns. Check out PayPal kicking off the week with some big gains. The payment stock reports earnings tomorrow after the bell. Let's get to Mike Co for the setup. Hey, Mike.
1: Hi there. Yeah, so we saw calls outpacing puts by about two to one in PayPal. Right now, the options market is implying a move of just over 7% by the end of the week. That's in line with how the stock has performed over the last eight reported quarters. Now, earlier in the day... It was the weekly 170 calls that were most active. But if you've been following the stock, you'll notice that it ended up more than 5% today. And as it rallied through that 170 strike price, it was the 180 calls that ultimately became the most actively traded. And we saw about 4,900 of those trading for an average of just over $2 a contract. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the news could be good. And the rally we saw uh, last Friday and today could continue through the end of the week.
2: Bonwin, what do you think of PayPal?
1: Uh, momentum trade, I think it makes a lot of sense. Given the spike in volatility, though, I would have liked to see that maybe spread that call with an upside call and dampen that cost basis.
2: All right. Michael, thank you for that. Uh, by the way, Kramer is making the case for PayPal in today's Investing Club newsletter. You can sign up now at CNBC.com slash join the club or use a QR code, QR code on your screen. And for more options action, full share Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, the one stock posting some sizzling hot gains today. The name and your final trades on fast money returns. <music> Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Beyond Meat sizzling higher on a Barclays double upgrade. The analyst flipping to a buy from a sell, saying growth in restaurants part- restaurant partnerships will boost. This stock, 15 percent, Guy, in a single day. Can you be on board this call?
3: So I'm not going to do it because I think our viewing audience has gotten tired of hearing about my constitution. But, yes, I can get on board because if you look at where we recently traded down to in recent meeting last week, we basically traded down to and touched the lows we saw in March, I believe, of 2020. So just for a trading opportunity, you got to believe that all the pessimism is now in the name, and there's some upside. So good for them for upgrading the stock. Uh, Good for me for not participating in their product.
2: (laughs) Bonwin, do you like Beyond Meat?
1: Uh, I can see a guy reaching for the Pepto as I speak. I I personally uh, prefer the Impossible Foods, but, um, yeah, I I don't think it's so bad.
2: I thought he was going to say I prefer Um, T-Bone. Karen... (laughs) You know, we're just—we started the show talking about bombed-out stocks, and and here we are. This is one of them. Can you see this one bouncing?
4: Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's a good day to be a company that doesn't earn money yet, right? This is—they were very in favor today. This is one of them. Not that they're doing anything wrong. They're doing a great job, but um, you know, for me, it's—it's. Nah, I'm gonna pass on that. All right. Uh, for more
2: on this Barclays call, if you're interested on Beyond Meat, head on over to cnbc.com/slash pro. It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
0: Yes, seller of Guy's Constitution, but buyer of JP Morgan. And this is the time to buy banks after their earnings season. Beaten down is the right time.
2: Bonoin.
1: Growth at a discount. Salute Kathy Woods, TRMB.
4: Karen Feinerman. Yeah, you know, recently the CNBC sent us a return so I can now see the show. So, Guy, I haven't seen where you've been shooting from for a long time. Melissa, did you set him up at the Harvard Club? Are you at a cigar? <laughs> where, where? What are you doing? He anyway, my final trade. Nice to see your face, though. Nice to see your face. Uh, Facebook, Meta Platforms, earnings tomorrow. Guy, you got an upgrade from
2: the basement, I guess. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I moved from the basement for the time being. I'm trying to have it repainted and maybe bring some nice curtains in. It's always good to have, you know, those accoutrements in your background. Maybe Room Raider will do me a solid, Melms. But Blackstone has been doing a solid since they reported a ridiculous quarter. BX, I think, is going to take out the prior all-time high. Mad money starts now.